the hypervigilance, the extreme excellence, the working my ass off since I was 21 years old, all of that has brought me to this point. And this is where I am now. And now, like, it feels like literally the methodology by which I construct my life has to change. I'm Autumn Brown, a queer science fiction writer, a theologian, a mother of dragons, and a healing justice facilitator for social movements living in rural Minnesota. I'm Adrian Marie Brown, a 40-year-old living in Detroit. (laughs) And this is our podcast, How to Get Away with Murder. (laughs) And this is How to Survive the End of the World, our podcast on surviving apocalypse with grace, rigor, and curiosity. You're so excited about being 40 years old that you literally can't even do the opening credits. <laughs> I'm so excited about being 40 years old that I literally can't do anything else but turn 40. It's all I've been doing for the last month. That's all I plan to do for the foreseeable future. Just like y'all. I don't know if you knew. Like I go up to random people in the street at my gym. I'm just like, hi. It's, oh, it's my birthday month. I want our listeners to be aware of the fact that, like, in true Virgo nature, you <laughs> sent an email out to our family about... A month out from a my month birthday. Ago, a month ago, a month of yes. your birthday, just describing how you wanted your birthday to go, including, like, what you wanted related to your birthday to happen while you were here visiting us in August. Yes. And, like... <laughs> in every location. In every location. From everyone I love. Come through. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I just... It was just like this is the most <laughs> Virgo thing I've ever seen in my life related it to a birthday. So good. And I model it. I have to give props where they're due. My friend Aja is the one who I saw do this where she sent out this message and it was much less demanding. It was more like a list <laughs> of like Virgo things that she wanted. I don't think, yeah, I think maybe, maybe it's part of that. I mean, it's like she did a list of things she wanted us to take pictures of ourselves doing and just like posting those. Right. Um, and yeah, I feel like I got into some more detail than that, but you know what happened as a result of that is I've had the perfect birthday season. Give us some highlights. So it started off at your house, um, where (laughs) it's a very, very, very fine house. (laughs) And, uh, every time I'm at your house, I make pancakes from scratch with the kids and we do it kind of like workshop style. Like it's like we have seven ingredients. We need three cups of this one and one, you know, like it's all like, okay, what's the math of a double? We need a double dose because this family cannot handle a single one. So what are we exactly. up to? So we've been training. And a double so dose my, of chocolate chips inside that. <laughs> on, on a good day for them. They get really happy about those days. But so I was like, I just want you guys to make me pancakes. Like that's the thing that would make me really happy. And for the most part, I think they can do it. So it started with the pancakes kind of in bed. I was in bed until the last possible moment and they were delicious and you helped them make them. So it wasn't too dangerous. (laughs) You what? I mostly made the pancakes. You mostly made the pancakes. (laughs) I guess my workshop. But that's because I'm very controlling (laughs) 
as, which <laughs> is very related to what we're going to be talking about today. So I was like, Adrian might do this workshop style with you, but that's not how I roll in the kitchen. <laughs> You're like, and I made the, this part. I made this part. You I can know, stir was- it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of like that too, though. So anyway, that started there. I got to go to Italy with several of my closest and oldest friends. And oh, we- just Italy. Just Italy, and it was everything that you would want Italy to be. Um, Mm. And then came back, got to do a meeting that felt hard and important, Mm -hmm. um, which is to me the sweet spot for my work is like there's Mm. nothing easy about this. I can't just figure it out. And and this matters. This meeting really matters. It's it's Mm. the stakes are meaningful for each person at this table. Like that to me is when I feel the most alive as a facilitator. And then I got to go on this trip to Idlewild and oh, the writing retreat, right? Yeah, it was like an artist retreat. All of us like went up there, performed for the local Idlewilders, learned about this beautiful Black Eden and really looking for it to be regenerated, like really looking at black people, particularly black people in the Midwest to return and really um, invest in it as a space. So it was really exciting to be there, be learning about that. And then just came home and had an amazing time at home. Like all the, you know, like all the FaceTime calls with the family, including the babies singing me happy birthday. I love that they also just manage that on their own. I was like, Finn, just take your iPad, "Um, go upstairs, and y'all just take care of it. We are doing this right now. (laughs) And they sang it to me not once, but twice, because there was some unfair sharing of the screen and they wanted to get it there <laughs> yeah. like it was just like so thoughtful and, and loving and then I just got to like I spent the day with close friends with loved ones really intimate really beautiful day um I slept a ton I, I meditated you know I took the time like on my own to like do my meditation tarot eaching like you know come into the year mm. um so all of it was just like this is lovely I feel great I feel fully 40 you know, fully celebrated and celebrated as myself. Cause you know, for my 30th birthday, I was like, I was such a mess. I was so mad because I thought nothing was being planned. It turned out the perfect, amazing thing was being planned. And it was, (laughs) do you know what I'm saying? Like, I was just like, Oh, like I got a big surprise, but I ended up feeling horrible about it. (laughs) You know, because I then like, like, went into it so angry. Yeah. And passive aggressive and all this stuff. Right. So this time I was like, I know that decade turnings are a big deal for me. And I'm just going to act as if I know myself and not care if anyone thinks badly about it. Cause I also know that they love me. (laughs) So I'm just like that combo I'm going to lean on. Well, I feel like this is actually a good segue into what we're, talking about today it's true um you know and for our listeners sake you know in in terms of at some point uh in the last year adrian had the idea that we should we should do an episode where we talk about like the impossible (laughs) things about us Mm -hmm. and you know the things that we even ourselves inside of our own personalities and our own phenomenological worlds (laughs) where we really believe that like we're right even inside of that that we can find it impossible (laughs) to be that way in the world and then over the summer as I've been um sort of you know full transparency seeking sinking into like a deeper and deeper recognition of the level of burnout that I'm in um 
Adrian and I really made the connection that there is this relationship between the things that we feel like are impossible about ourselves or impossible in our lives and the ways that we kind of like will, um, you know, flame out in our bodies spiritually um, and otherwise. And I was just telling um, my sweetie that like, but you know it's it's September seventh. It's the end of the first week of school for my kids, oh. and which went fantastically, thank God. Um, but I was telling my sweetie that like the entry into this first week of school felt like um, landing a plane with no landing gear. That that's like the metaphor that I would use for what it felt like. Like we there was some smoke. There was some flames, oh. like people got jostled around and maybe slightly injured, but everyone's like made it physically intact, but like just barely was the feeling. And I really am describing myself more than anyone else in the situation. Wow. Yeah. Um, but that like that feeling that like, oh, I'm just barely making it into through the end of the summer into the beginning of the next season but with yeah. a lot of relief that the next season is starting like, so yeah so I'm I'm wondering all that is all that is context for the question that I want to ask you which is um you know noticing that like difference in how you celebrated 30 and how you celebrated 40 and that there's some yeah. something there where you were able to recognize like the truth about yourself yes um I'm wondering like how you would describe the turning point. And I know that you have a story of burnout and recovery. And I wonder if you'd be down to share some of that with our listeners. I will. I will. I I feel like, um, you know, my story is a cyclical one in that I feel like I've been through it a few times in my life, both in my young life and in my adult life. And I, I don't think we give a lot of credit to the fact that younger people also go through burnouts and mm-hmm. like <clears throat> in some ways our whole school system is burnout oriented. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. push yourself, push yourself, really push yourself <clears throat> such that you're not even sleeping, you know, and then now you can rest and recover and totally. you can do that cycle. I really like leaned into that cycle as a young person. I would really push myself and do these overnighters you know everything like leave it to the last minute push myself burn out recover Mm -hmm. and so then as an adult and I was an overachieving young person like I was just like I'm supposed to be in whatever the spaces are for people who are gifted and then I went to college and got my my ass kicked you know because I was like wait everyone here is like way smarter than me (laughs) I was like not just super good I was like it's like they were trained in being gifted while I was like being gifted while in school do you know what I'm saying like I was just like oh these are very different pathways I just just have to pause you there because you are one of the smartest people I know and in fact many people would not know this about you but in fact on the day (laughs) of your graduation ceremony you won an award you won an award at Columbia <laughs> University the day that you graduated that was basically described from the stage as like, this is the award that we give to the smartest person in the school currently. 
Okay, so it's what was called the name the, of the award? It's called the Most Outstanding Student Award. Exactly. And it's like <laughs> voted on. I still have no idea how that happened. But the funny, the other hum- humorous thing about that is so that's happening on the surface level of my life, which is often yes. how my life is. It looks like it's great. But then what I know is I walked across that stage towards no diploma. Like I didn't actually graduate. That's right. I didn't actually finish because I failed at French because I cannot learn a language for the life of me. Like right. they're just like very, you know, that's the impossible things about me. Are like I can't learn a language. I can't really do math under pressure. Like I do great street math, but like if it's like <laughs> a bomb was needing to be diffused or something, I would just be like, nope, sorry. 14 minus seven I don't know you know like it's too hard and then how many seconds left <laughs> and reading nonfiction, I try to read nonfiction. like it's so hard mm-hmm. for my brain to wrap myself around nonfiction. I'll just be yeah. like like it literally seems impossible like I'll try and then all of a sudden I'm asleep and I'm like wait wake up <laughs> oh Octavia <laughs> Butler injection right away like I need I need just a reframe right. so uh, but I will say this like going through those experiences of being like, I am smart. I don't doubt that I'm an intelligent person, but I've never been smart in the ways that made sense in the systems that I was in. Like, I feel like Mm. I have finally found my way into systems that appreciate the way that I'm smart. And it's taken the majority of my 40 years to carve that space out. And the carving was exhausting work. And the carving is what burned me out was being in a space that was actually not the right shape for who I truly was and trying so hard to make it work that I would put my body and my time and my spirit and my relationships and everything else on the line to make it work somehow. You know, and sometimes it was in a relationship. Sometimes it was in a workplace. Sometimes it was a, you know, a movement darling location and just being like, this doesn't Mm -hmm. fit. Like, (laughs) you guys like me, but you don't know me at all. This doesn't fit. I need to Mm -hmm. be doing something a little different and a little more behind the scenes or this doesn't fit. I need to be thinking about science or whatever it is. So I will say that the, like in a, in a fictional way, in a fictional way, (laughs) right. Right. Um, But I'll say this last piece here. And then I want to flip this question back to you. But for me, the cycle has almost always looked like going into a place of total shadow, total fog, total darkness, total hopelessness where I cannot, see my way out and I can't vision my way out you know those that that distinct places like my inner self my outer self neither one can can smart my way out of it like I cannot Mm. find the way through the maze and I have to be alone and recognize that and it's in that recognition some little spark of light shows up and sometimes it's been a very literal journey and sometimes it's been more like, oh, I understand right now I'm in that dark night. And I had one of those this summer, <laughs> you know, yeah. where the IRS situation pushed me to the brink. And I'm also engaged in some deep healing work. And the combination, I was just like, oh, externally people think my life is great. And internally I'm like, I can't, you know, <laughs> I can't figure out how far back I can even look in my own history. And I can't figure out a way forward in my financial situation. Yes. And it's a, that tension is getting to be overwhelming and I don't want to tell anyone because I'm holding people who have real problems this is always the other thing that happens in my head is I'm like that's the other impossible thing (laughs) this is not real everyone else's shit is real and I need to help them 
right? This is a Virgo impossibility, particularly. It's like, am I saving someone? Am I Mother Teresa? You know, it's just like, right. no, bitch, you are a normal person. <laughs> you are struggling, and then you help people who are struggling. That's like what all humans do. You're part right. of the humans right. be a human. So that's my thing on burnout. And what I want to ask you is I feel like you, you know, Fred Astaire said that about Ginger Rogers or whatever, it's like, she's the better dancer because she does it all, or maybe she had to say it, but anyway, that she does it all backwards in heels, like that she's able to do everything he does. I feel kind of like that with parenting, where you are living this like robust, full life of cycles of learning who you are, but doing it all while also raising other humans who are looking at you like how to be, how to life, how to, how to life, right? Right. So how to life. Mm. That's like if Bjork was telling the story, but I feel like... (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious about your cycles of burnout and how you Mm. have, where you have known, like, this is it. This is what burnout is for me. Yeah. This is what it is about. And this is how I turn and walk out of it. Yes. Okay. So first I'm really glad you lifted up the piece around school because that is so true and not a connection that I would have necessarily made on my own. Although I certainly remember, I remember how, damaging I realized being in school actually was on my body and my soul Um, yes I remember in part because um I graduated um I I'm a year older than my partner Genjo and we met in college and um and so the first year that I was living in New York City he was still finishing his degree at Sarah Lawrence which is the college that we went to and I would take the train the first few months that I was living in New York City I would take the train from um, Manhattan up to Yonkers and I would feel literally feel like my something tightening around my heart the closer I would get to the campus and after a couple of months I was like I just remember I called him once and I was like I you have to start coming down to me I can't keep going back to that place like and you know I feel like I've since then entered into a place of gratitude about my um, college experience because it was really phenomenal in many yeah. ways. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I definitely got opportunities through being in school there that are, you know, kind of in, like I, I got the opportunity to study abroad at Oxford university, which is like oh, yes. incredible. Like that's not something that most Americans would ever get to do. Right. So like, and we had so much <clears throat> magic time there. We had so much magic time in England. The, um, the mouth of the England, tents. try it. All of um, Very cool. <laughs> um, but, um, but, <laughs> but it took me years to get back to a place of feeling gratitude for, that experience yeah. because yes. I did experience so much harm there. Yeah. Um, so, and it's interesting later when I was doing a lot of work with healing practitioners, I remember meeting a healer through my organizing work who um, shared with me that part of her path to becoming a healer was having to drop out of her PhD program because she had a stroke because oh. of the stress of the work that she was doing in her PhD program. And I, it, I remember it being oh, like, it was, MG. it was so incredible. I didn't believe her at first. I was like, no way. There's no way that you could have had a stroke at your age just because of academic stress. And the, then, you know, over the years I've really learned like, no, nah, that shit's real. Like you really have can say, have a stroke. You could really have a stroke. You could really have a heart attack. You could really lose your mind. Like, I just want to say my friend Janine Denovage just wrote a piece 
on this very topic that I just read today, like hours before getting on here about her process of going through grad school. And I'm like, I'm going to see if I can pull it up real quick because it's in this book um, that is out now that like just came out. But the whole piece is like her journey to grad school and how before she got to it, it was like she felt smart. She felt like she had a path towards academia that made sense to her. And then the process of going through that schooling experience was like breaking down every aspect of that and structured in a way that did that. And that only learning about vulnerability actually got her through. Wow. Um, and so the, the book is called um, Feminism and Intersectionality in Academia. Um, It's out from Palgrave. And then her piece in it is called The Doctor of Vulnerability and Resilience. Ooh. I love Janine. Um, Anyway, I just had to throw that in. She's another like radical mom who is just like killing it and moving through these cycles. So continue. Yes. Oh, Janine's amazing. And such a model. Um, But yeah, so to your question about like how I've navigated cycles of burnout. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 hard for me to even answer in any kind of zoomed out way, actually, because I'm in one right now. So uh, I can kind of answer from inside of it. Yeah. Um, that one of the ways that I've like tuned into the fact that it's happening is that I experience myself as being victimized by everything in my life, and. <clears throat> And that's complicated because obviously as someone who exists at the intersection of multiple marginalizations, um, being a black mixed race woman, being queer, um, coming from a working class background and living my entire adult life inside of like just a lot of economic instability, um, there are many ways in which structurally... I am like a target slash victim. And also um, I have education privilege. Yeah. um, And I have um, mobility access. Right. So um, so I'm holding I hold the awareness of all of that. And because I'm also someone who is like high functioning and also very, very excellent. um, Yes. And like highly resilient, Um, it's and because I tend to not orient, you know, I don't consciously orient to the world as like um, a fearful place. I it's 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 been important. It's been noticeable the shift in me in the last couple of years towards like being in more of a fear state more of the time. Um, experiencing situations and conditions that would otherwise feel very manageable as being like very fucked up um, and feeling very resentful a lot of the time and really being caught in a narrative that like um, that essentially everyone around me is to blame for everything that's happening. And so the work that I'm doing inside of that is trying to really um, is twofold one is really trying to recover a sense of agency. Yeah. Um, and it's not only what's been really helpful is that it's not just the work that I'm doing on myself. It's also the work that I'm doing with all of my clients. And that's been Mm -hmm. very assistive. So I do a lot of coaching work, um, with people in movements 
and I've been very focused in my coaching work on agency and, um, and that's been helping me be in my own process around recovering my agency. Um, so that's one part of it. And the other thing that I've been really actively working on is boundary setting and, um, and boundary holding, right. You know, because which it's almost feels like two pieces of work, right? Like it's one thing to, yeah, college and grad school. Exactly. (laughs) It is. Cause it's like, it's one thing to like say that you have a boundary or to know that your boundary is there. It's another thing entirely to insist that it not be crossed. Um, and to, and to like create consequences for people crossing it. It's um, like casting a spell while using none of the elements to assist you. Like, it's just mm, sort of like, hmm, mm-hmm. I just said some words, you know, like, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to work. And so, yeah, it's been very, it's, it's really been like the hardest work of my life in a way. Mm. Um, but I feel like the fact that I'm a parent has been one of the things that's really like kicked my ass into gear about it because I just, I had a moment over the summer where I, so I was having the experience, I was having the somatic experience where like every day I was kind of like, you know, again, that like landing with no landing gear, I would get to the end of my day and then physically collapse and um like some days really like as soon as the clock turned the hour that my day was supposed to stop working I would like tilt over and not be able to hold my body up and wow mm -hmm, and I had this experience where we were going somewhere after the end of my work day as a family we were in the car Sam was driving and I was in the passenger seat and the kids were in the back and I was just slumped over without realizing it I was like slumped over in the chair and Finn was like hey mom are you okay and I like as soon as he said it I like felt like my body sort of snap into a sitting up straight position yeah and and then I just like kind of held myself up as long as I could and but then realized how much effort I was having to put into like sitting up and it kind of like that was one of one of many wake-up calls over the summer that like something's not right like something's really not right in my body right now or in my spirit that like I literally can't I I feel like um you know the word that my therapist would use is that I I'm feel incongruent you know Mm. um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so yeah it's really helpful so I'm so yeah so the the answer is really from from the inside of this experience is that I think I'm I'm learning what it looks like I'm learning what the signs are yeah and I feel like I'm fighting like hell yeah for um my spirit that's really what it is I mean I want to I want to really celebrate you a lot right in this moment because I I feel like one of the ways that burnout perpetuates itself is that we hide it right that it's always something that's like oh you know once you're on the other side of it and you've got it all figured out and da 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 then you can actually talk about the fact that like burnout happened you know but while you're inside of it when you actually need support the most and when it would be the most helpful for people to know that it's happening the instinct is not to share and so I just want to really affirm the the bravery that you are moving with and also that it's like to me so trust building it's just like oh yeah like yeah the more you're learning about those things the more you're knowing how to navigate it so I think that's 
incredibly powerful. And then I just want to also affirm like the work that your body is doing to still move through this, you know, like that mm-hmm. snapping to that holding. Like I've realized that almost all of my chronic pain comes from those moves, right? Yeah. Like the moves that I do to like yeah. persist when I can't persist, the moves that I do when I'm actually feeling fearful um, and I'm not acknowledging I feel fearful or the moments when I'm exhausted and I'm not letting my body just rest, mm. right? It's like almost all my chronic pain comes from like, oh, I tighten my hips a certain way to, to stay up when I should be laying down or sitting down or resting. Right. right. And it's like right. literally over time that just becomes a chronic pain that's like, well, fuck you, then you're going to sit down. <laughs> so you were going to totally. go, you know, you could do it a nice way. What are we going to do this other way now? And it's just like oh, I've created a punitive system in my own body. Like, oh, no, <laughs> you know, this is how do I start to, you know, I, I feel like just affirming that naming that it's like, oh, this is what's going on in my body. And then how do we start to attend to the body as a way towards that soul growth. I love that that was that piece that you're talking about. Like, oh, this is my soul. Like, yeah. my spirit is on intact. And I feel like so much of what we're understanding is like, you know, Grace talked about this is a time to grow our souls. And I think we didn't necessarily think about what growth feels like, right? Mm-hmm. That it's like growth spurts, <laughs> growth spurts are freaking horrible. Like when you see a kid going through one, all of a sudden you're just like, why are your bones sticking out? Like what's right. happening or like why, you know, like why is you your look, face so weird? Your face is weird and you've totally <laughs> broken out and you're just sweating in odd places. And like, it's a gross spurt. Oh, it's a gross spurt. How adorable. But like, I'm like, when you're 40, yo, there's, it looks different. It, <laughs> <laughs> it looks real different. You know, and it's wonderful, of course. But I'm just, you know, like, oh, it looks like sitting in the By shower the way, crying for an entire day because it's just like, I can't change right. what's happening. <laughs> yeah. There is a there is a component too of like again in that in the theme of like um the impossible things that yes. I feel very I feel an increasing level of awareness of um how my controlling tendencies and my need to be in control of my surroundings has like supported me up to now and that I need to figure out a way to surrender control in order to meet the growth that's happening inside me. And, and that's very frightening and challenging because it's like, okay, where does like the, my, one of my coworkers and I talk about like, the um the like flip side of imposter syndrome being like extreme excellence syndrome <laughs> that like you know that like That's if true. you're if you're not struggling with like feeling like you're an imposter as a person of color particularly then usually what you're struggling with is being like so so excellent and having to be so excellent at all times yeah um that like you kind of lose sight of the fact that it may not actually even be good for you to be that excellent or good for others around you. Right. Yes. And so I think that, you know, my extreme excellence stuff and that's not, and that's not me being like, I'm perfect, but rather that like, it's a different thing from perfection. It's it's different. It's extreme excellence. (laughs) And it's like, it's like, it's holding myself to such a high standard. Yes. Uh, in relationship to like basically so many parts of my life that arises in part from like being in a state of hypervigilance 
and exactly. which so, is intelligence, right? Exactly. It's kind of like intelligence as a cancer, like intelligence gone wild, intelligence that has like dis- disconnected itself from something that is sustainable for the body that it's of, you know. Exactly. Like, oh no. And yeah. it's like, okay, it got me here. Here is a place where here is a place where I've literally had to like put an auto reply in my email account that may <laughs> be there forever that says I'm booked out for the next year in my life of work, which means that if you want to work with me, then you basically need to contact this other person about possibly <laughs> working with me in 2020. And also like, and Hit me. <laughs> and also like if you're writing to me for like pretty much any other reason, like you just want to talk, just don't expect to hear from me. Most likely the, the <laughs> most likely scenario is that I will never email you back unless we okay. know each other. Is this right? Your, like, are you talking about your email auto reply or mine? I'm talking about the one that I put in into my email account um, in June, which was like, <laughs> it's so funny. I have to say, I'll be totally honest with you. Sure. I have found I have found your auto replies so annoying. I know for so does. long. Everyone and then does. I found myself in the place of having to finally capitulate to yes. the reality of my life and be yes. like, I too will have to have a perpetual auto reply and forever. <laughs> I mean, I feel so sad about it, actually. Right. Because. I think it's my, and I don't think the problem is on either of us. I think the problem is the technology of auto replies is not where it needs to be yet. So that once it has auto replied once to someone, that's all that needs to happen. Or like maybe once a month or something, but I don't think it's like, if it says this is my perpetual situation, you don't need to send it over and over again. Exactly. The The technology is wrong. I really do mean this. Like I mean every word of this auto reply and I mean it every single time because the thing that's worse for me than other people's brief frustration is my, overwhelming frustration at having constant incoming requests that I'm like, exactly. I can't de- dedicate my life, my miraculous life to answering a ton of requests saying I can't do something that doesn't make any sense to me. Right. And I used to be like an email inbox clearer thing. Things that also burn out people really quickly is wasted effort. And I feel like there's so much busy work that like, again, ties into that excellence that extreme excellence thing where it's just like you're just doing busy work it's not actually helping you achieve your mission it's not actually helping you meet your people it's not actually helping you build your base it's just a task and you were able to check it off and in the checking it off you wasted time you could have used in building those relationships or doing visionary work or other things like we just get caught in that and it's capitalism that productivity I just have to be doing something even if I'm not right exactly and and I want to say I definitely didn't, I definitely didn't mean to like, um, insult you about your auto reply because actually it's not insulting because I mean to me, because it was a turning point for me of realizing, like realizing that I needed one like that for myself. (laughs) Um, and realizing, Oh, you know, understanding that like that was part of your journey too. Right. And, but so the, or the, the same thing, the, I'll just say very quickly, the same thing with assistance, right? I used to be like, if you can't handle your own life, if you need an assistant, then like you're doing the most, like you just needed that. And now right. I'm just like, Who are I need you eight. Need I literally need so many people to assist in every aspect of my life. I'm becoming less and less capable of more and more things as I become mm-hmm. more and more focused on what I'm really supposed to do. Right. I'm like, oh, this takes so much of me to do. And, and it does, you know, it does shift as you get further along in your career where it's like, oh, more people are trying to, there's more incoming, right? Right, right. There's and just I, more so incoming I, than you can imagine. Exactly. I think that that's, that was what I was going to say, that like that the hypervigilance, the extreme excellence, the 
working my ass off since I was 21 years old. All of that has brought me to this point. And this is where I am now. And now, like, it feels like literally the methodology by which I construct my life has to change. Yes. And... And, and there's, and there's, there's not, it's not just about the incoming, which is significant. That is a huge part of it. But it's also about like, my kids are aging, you know, like my kids are getting to an age where they're, you know, they're 10, eight and five. When they come home from school, they really want and need to verbally process with me. Yes. And I want and need to show up for that. And I can't show up for that if I'm caught in this perpetual loop of like text messaging, email, management of my like hours, management of my work relationships, you know, putting out fires stuff. And so I'm having to really like become quite like surgical in terms of how I think about my time and like, and, and, and with my coworkers, even I've started sort of like letting folks know, like, you know, if there are emails that are flowing back and forth amongst all of us and it's not directly related to anything that I'm working on, I'm probably not even going to read it. I'll probably just archive it because like I and it's not out of disrespect. It's literally just that I'm having to become so surgical in terms of how I orient to my time. Um, yeah, and I feel as like that's the medicine of aging. I feel like the medicine of aging is, if you can get it, is like to be surgical in that way is to get in right relationship with your mortality. And I think burnout comes when mm. you're in wrong relationship to your mortality, when you are wasting your time and on some level you know it. Like I'm, yes. I'm doing too much. I'm not doing any of it well. I'm not able to focus on love. I'm not reading books. I never wrote my novel. Like these things start to wear I'm down. I'm believing the this situation is going to change. That's not changing. It's that's never going to change. It's just like it wears you down. Right. And then once you have worn yourself all the way down, it's like you don't believe anymore. You stop believing in, in like life and then you're not using it well. Right. And then I feel like on the mm. other flip side of that, you get to a place where you're like, my time is so precious And like each person you interact with is a chance to be in that practice of like my miraculous life is so precious. And so Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a little bit of it. It's a gift. And if you're giving me some, we're we're like God gifting. It's like so powerful actually. And I want to operate at that level or I don't want to fuck around with it. And that level may, you know, it doesn't, it's always, always, doesn't always have to be that intense. Like sometimes that level is being at the Y playing in the lazy river with the kids. Right. Like it's that it's like, this is what I want to do with my precious miraculous life is spend as much of it as I can with these kids. Right. And I want to spend as much of it as I can writing novels. And I want to spend as much of it as I, right. Being in love. I want to spend it doing good in the world, like really radical good. So I'm like, if it's not those things, I'm not, you know, I'm like, I'm not put on this earth to answer a bunch of emails. <laughs> it's just not. And I wasn't put it. on this earth to answer a bunch of emails. Um, <laughs> I have to share a quote from this evening that was like, so a perfect moment to get to experience with my children yeah. that I'm like, yeah. this is a great example of like exactly why I'm starting to set all these things down that I've been carrying. Yes. my love. I, I, I was eating dinner with my kiddos. And Maraid was asking questions about where she was born. And, you know, and Siobhan and I were explaining to her that she was born (laughs) in the sunroom, in a tub. And Siobhan was like, yeah, you swam underwater after you were born. And Maraid was like, 
what? I was born swimming and was like so excited <laughs> about it. And then and then Maraid goes, but wait, how was I born? And Siobhan goes, well, first you came out of mommy's little butt. And she <laughs> and she literally makes this little hand gesture where she's like, like, like showing with her fingers how tiny my butthole is. It's such and, a tiny little butthole. And I turn to her and correct her and I, and I just say to her, vagina. And she says, vagina. And then she looks at me and she's like, and it's very cute. <laughs> I just died laughing. And I was oh, like, no. I just started laughing. And she, she's, she's so amazing. She knows exactly how funny she is, right? She's so she is just like My so God. excited about being able to experience explain to Marie how tiny it is this tiny little butt tiny and cute it is it doesn't matter if it's a butt or a vagina it's really small it's and cute. so cute <laughs> that's hilarious because she was totally not anywhere close to that place or that, that she wasn't she, I know I, that's what I love about too is that she wasn't actually physically present for it but at she all can, she can story tell it I, I mean like, she has seen she's so seen the, she's seen the video that you took of it so oh that's true um you know and you know she and I have had years of processing around like the birthing process because she oh, just yes. finds it horrifying um <laughs> she's obsessed <laughs> with everything like this she's so fascinating which you know this is a story yeah. for a different time but all that is to say <laughs> that so these funny. for me these are exactly the kinds of moments that like in the worst parts of my burnout experience. Yeah. It's been easy for me to miss them because I'm like zoned out collapsing or just like, you know, because because I put everything into that client call. I now have zero energy for my family at the end of the day. And I need right. like and I basically need to just like do the bare minimum. Yeah. And I'm just awakening to you the like the reality that these children are my actual life, you yeah. know, like my actual life is my family. My actual life is my creative process. My actual life is the songs that I write is the novel that I'm working on is the opportunities that I have to like create art and be with loved ones. Like that's my actual life. And, um, and so that's like that I basically have like set my intentions so strongly on that. And then I'm right. But I feel I'm so far away from it that I'm in the zone still of like, OK, what's my daily practice? I need to shower yes. every day. Yes. I need to shower every day because that is like the self-love that I can give right now. And then like a week from now, once I've established that, I'm like, I can add something else. Exactly. Right. One step at a time. And I have two questions for you. Mm. One is um, a boundary setting question. So you've just shared a lot about where you are in this current moment. And I can imagine a lot of our listeners are like, we love Autumn so much. We want to help. And we'll be like, oh, let me reach out. Let me do this. Let me do that. What boundary would you like around how our listeners, anyone who hears this um, and hears about your burnout, like how would you like people to interact with you around it? Mm. Well, it's interesting because I think I'm open to receiving like people putting loving energy towards me, um, but I'm not open to questions or advice from people that I don't know. So good. I'm so glad you said that so clearly. And then the second question I have, which Thanks for I asking. Think, no problem. I'm like, you know, listeners, I love y'all, but like, just don't <laughs> flood my inbox because you'll just get my auto reply. 
Autumn Marie Brown. Autumn Megan Brown. Oh. Um, Autumn Marie Brown. That's hilarious. I, I, I said I said Marie. Oh. I was like, hmm. Oh. We are one. We nickname. are one. Um, but was the second question was about another impossible thing because it feels like some ways the contradictions that you spoke of, and I think some of what I wrestle with, and I think most people do, is like once you find your place, like one of your places of brilliance, right? You know, because you were just saying, like, this is my actual life. And I'm like, okay, so then what do you do with the brilliant worker that is there? And how do you handle that sort of contradiction of, like, this is the part of my life that feels actual, but what do I do with my brilliance? Yeah, it, that, and that's a really interesting one because, like, I love the work I do. Like, my last call of the day was with three other facilitators where we were, like, planning a curriculum that was, like, you know – so exciting we were having such a blast on the call just like doing this curriculum planning and having all of these like having all the synergy and excitement and we know we're all about to see each other a month from now and Mm -hmm. like and then we're gonna do this thing that we're planning right now and it feels so good and it's so fun and I'm like this is the shit that I live for right in my work that those moments of synergy of collective brilliance that's what I live for and and so for me, I think the, the, for me, the place to resolve that contradiction always is to move towards collectivity in yes. my work, like always to move yeah. to, to not allow myself to become isolated because yeah. feeling isolated in my brilliance yeah. fe- feeds a really toxic story. Yes. Um, you know, whereas like feeling isolated in my creative process is really helpful. You know what exactly. I mean? So it's like, so I think that, <laughs> I think that be, for me being able to like make that differentiation of like, here's where isolation or just aloneness is supportive. And here over here is where like, I actually need to be in relationship in order to, to actually be right with myself and be in yes. like integrity with myself. That's, that's how I hold that. It's such a, I love that you articulated that because it's also like that's the way out of burnout in general is like being in systems where it's like you're an authentic relationship and an excited, authentic relationship with other people. And it's been so interesting because I keep trying to shift my facilitation practice so that I'm not a solo facilitator just out in the world yeah. by myself doing stuff but like that I'm tied in with bold or that I'm tied in with generative somatics or that I'm tied in with what's going to be a cohort of emergent strategy facilitators who are you know moving in in similar ways right flocking together right, right. and <clears throat> I really am like oh that I'm trying to make that move and it's also so interesting and I think this really contributes to burnout in ways that we don't talk about often is the, the structures of nonprofits, the funding structures, the, the literally institutions that we have really support the isolating narrative and the isolating path of like you are a rock so star. There's nobody like you. You are the only one the funder will talk to. You are the one they want to build a relationship with. You have to go get on the stage, but also be a great manager of other humans and also be really great with budgets and also be really Mm-mm. great with this. And, Mm-mm. you know. Right. And like any of that language, I'm like, don't listen to that. Like, imagine it's like the devil trying to whisper in your ear. Even exactly. It's <laughs> like a friend, you know, just being like, oh, if you think you're, you know, I'm like, if, if you're getting that feedback, it's just a sign. It's like you are think of it as like hitting the bumper rails with your bowling ball. You know, it's just like right, you right. need to be recentered on community and recentered towards towards the relationship and the collective. Um, I feel like a huge part of the wake up call of this IRS situation for me has been 
I love my strategy. I should not have been doing an individualistic strategy to fight such a massive system. Sorry. <laughs> oh, the look on your face just now was everything to me. So I'm really <laughs> glad that that happened. By the way, you look so much like dad tonight. Like I think the, really? the shadows on your face, I'm just like, it looks like a floating dad face with your hair. Shadows. <laughs> yeah. Also with my hair pulled back. I'm also just really like owning my masculinity right now. Like, Ooh, um, that's I've just maybe been, I've just been also, I've been feeling like a lot of like, super masculine energy flowing through me lately awesome. and I'm really just like soaking it up and then channeling it so that also might be part it's of why really it's working through. you look like a Thank man you. right now and it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a so very cool. attractive 64 year old man who's about to be 65 um I was like what are you talking about oh dad <laughs> I was like right. <laughs> you're so weird <laughs> that's what I'm channeling <laughs> That's so great. I was like, although I really hope that you're not channeling dad. I hope this is your own masculinity. You're um, right. You're right. It's got to be mine. Yeah. It's a post-military, um, post, you know, but pro. But I really, I really just to, to not completely derail what you're saying. Although I do, I know that we probably need to wrap up in a minute. Um, mm. That was the face that I was making was <laughs> noticing the time. Um, but just that I, I really, I want to just say like a full body yes to that. And also say that like in the spirit of like, apocalypse survival like we can't afford to be alone right right now and and so we are combating that the um pervasive individualism and isolation that's totally a habit of white supremacy and and we can't we just can't afford it and i i feel it in my body that like I need aloneness, but I can't afford to be alone or be left alone. And those things are different. There's so, I mean, I think that I love that card in the Osho tarot deck. You know, there's like aloneness and then loneliness. And it, it talks about the distinction between them. Yes. Like, we can't actually afford the loneliness of burnout right now, like at all. And it's also like we can't afford to ignore that burnout is happening and that it is a logical response to these political conditions in this time. And so rather than denying or hiding it, we need to be like, where are you in the cycle of it? And like, how do we sort of start to approach everyone as like, you're, if you are an emotive, emotionally awakened human being, then you are probably in some cycle of burnout right now. And where are you at in it? And how can we all hold each other well through it so that we reach back throw each other forward and then let ourselves be pulled forward and we keep moving together. Um, <clears throat> and I feel like in this phone call, we're doing some of that. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm freshly coming out of it. I can really feel the tide has turned in myself. Like every morning I can feel that I'm waking up ready for this life and excited about what's happening and excited about what I'm going to create and, you know, generating. Mm -hmm. I can feel mm -hmm. that that has returned to me after having felt the absence of it. And, I'm really pleased with how I came through it this time, right? Yeah. That I was aware while I was inside of it, much as you are right now, just like, this is what's happening and I can learn from it. And you immediately in that move, as soon as you start to notice and be like, I have agency here, something starts to reflourish in the system. And I may have made that word up, but I really think that's what happens. Well, I wanted to say <laughs> that I love that you just said, like, I feel that I'm waking up every day excited about what I'm going to do because last night Genjo asked me, like, if your burnout went away tomorrow, what, how would you feel different? And that was the first thing I said was, I feel like I would wake up excited about the day ahead of me. 
you know, and I'm really That's ready it. to, I'm really ready to start feeling like that again. That's, I want that for you. <clears throat> Um, I want that for you, and I see you fighting for it, and I'm excited. I am about fighting it. for it. I'm fighting like hell for it right now. Yes, you are. All right. Um, I love what you What an awesome so conversation. Much. We're geniuses. Let's do our <laughs> credits real quick. We're extremely excellent. We're extremely excellent. Emotionally. And try, we're extremely excellent and trying to be less so. I know. We're trying to bring it down, y'all. <laughs> we're trying to just be a normal mess and not a sparkling mess full of confetti exactly. poop. All right. Thanks for listening to our show. We're on Twitter and Instagram at End of the World PC. We're also on Facebook at End of the World Show. I'm too happy, y'all. Okay, you can make a sustaining donation to our show by visiting our page at patreon.com slash end of the world show. Another incredibly helpful thing you can do to help our show sustain itself is to write us a review on Apple Podcasts if you are an iPhone person. Thank you. And Adrian, you should go reread the, the, you should read the most recent reviews that have come in since the beginning of July because they're amazing. Are they amazing? They're okay. so good. I'll they totally just make you that. so happy. Okay, keep going. How to Survive the End of the World is produced and edited by the sparkling and delightful Zach Rosen. Sparkling like glitter poop. Music for today's <laughs> show comes from Tunde Alaniran and Mother Cyborg. All right. <sighs> Here we go. I'm going to turn it off. Kazam. Kazam. Bye. So what was the movie you watched on the plane, Autumn? I watched A Quiet Place. Directed by John Krasinski, also starring John Krasinski, and his wife, Emily something. She's the British lady. Okay, these motherfucking white people in the woods. Like, first of all, at the very beginning of the movie, they're like quietly walking back from town where they were scrounging for medical supplies of some kind. And these motherfuckers are letting their four-year-old child walk at the very back of the line. So when he lights up his light-up toy that he stole from the store and turns it on, no one can get to him in time. And he gets scooped up by one of these monsters. And then, like, the next scene is, like, a year and a half later. Except instead of saying a year and a half later, they're like, 455 days later. And it's like, okay, well, the only previous marker of time we had was 86 days. But whatever. How did you know that the way that they wrote 400 and whatever number of days had an accent like that? <laughs> because it's the same urgent male voice that's the accent for every time demarcation in every disaster or science fiction movie ever made. Can you say six months? Six months later. Um, so then, six months later, oh no, in this case it's actually like a year and a half later, motherfuckers are like living on this farm and the mom is pregnant. I'm like, the number one thing that I would get on lock at the end of the world is birth control. And I'm not the only person who feels that way. Like, everyone knows that the number one thing that you don't do in a disaster situation is get fucking pregnant. <laughs> Especially... <laughs>
Especially a disaster situation in which, like, there are fucking creatures that, like, hunt by sound only. And you're about to give birth to a fucking baby? No. That baby's gonna die. What? It's so dumb. <laughs> okay, but the really cool thing about the movie is that everyone's signing the entire movie. There's almost no spoken dialogue. That was cool. It's very scary. It's very, very, very frightening. It's one of the first movies in which there's, I've ever seen American-made movie where there's a birth scene in the movie and there's something scarier than the birth scene happening in the movie while the birth is happening. Did you say everybody's singing in the movie? Signing. Did I say singing? I said signing. They're signing. American Sign Language. You said signing the first time. Signing. <laughs> Dwarf? <laughs> so what's the redeeming lesson from the movie? Um, like the main value of men is to sacrifice themselves. <laughs> <laughs>